Good morning, everyone. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Let us praise the Lord for what He has done in our lives. Let us come to Him in prayer. Father God, we thank You so much because indeed our Savior has risen. And because of that, O oh Lord, we have hope. We have joy. We have life. Father God, I pray that you're going to move this morning as we are about to hear your truth. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will overcome every pride. And I pray that your truth will penetrate our hearts that results to exaltation upon the Lord Jesus Christ alone. I pray that you will going to teach us your ways, O God, and grant us grace to submit to it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let us read the passage that uh, we're going to discuss this morning. In Matthew 27, verse 1 to 10, it says, Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when, G when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30, pi 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? You shall see it to yourself. And he threw the, the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and left and went away and hanged himself. The chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them in the temple treasury, since it is money paid for blood. And he conferred together, and with the money bought, Potter's Field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that, place, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then, that which was spoken through Jeremiah, the prophet, was fulfilled. And they took the 30 pieces of silver and uh, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel. And they gave them to the potter's field just as the Lord directed me. Now, last... Uh, Four days ago, uh, we prepared to visit our grandmother, okay, my grandmother in Asaan, because my mother's sister told us that she was dying. And uh, me and my wife pre prepared something for her. We bought a bucket of biscuit, coffee, and uh, uh, milk. Because I believe that's 
her favorite food. Now, as we uh, go going as we are going to Hasaan, and of course we are discussing, and there are things that we are talking. But when we reach the place, my mother's sister told us, my aunt, that grandma or yeah, mama is gone. Lola is gone. And she told us that she was gone at 8.30 in the morning. And that was the moment I woke up in the morning. And therefore, as we go along, Lola is already dead. But one thing that comforts me during that time is the sovereignty of God. Because I learned, as I journey in my Christian life, I learned to submit to the sovereignty of God. As a human being, it's not easy because I have pride. But as I study the scripture, as I expose myself in the word of God, my pride was crushed and I decided to submit to the whole counsel of God, to his sovereignty. That's why in the moment of my, my grandmother's death, I was comforted because in Psalm 135 verse 6, the Lord does all that pleases him. In the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. God is sovereign. And therefore, I must submit to him. He is the creator. I am just a creature made from dirt. I must submit to him. Yes, we all agree that God is sovereign. But when it comes to sovereign grace, when it comes to his saving grace, there we have a problem. God is still sovereign even in that particular uh, thing, his sovereign grace. That's why this is our topic. Let's now proceed to the passage and let us discover how the sovereign of God Sovereign grace of God works. In Matthew 27, verse 1, it says, Now the, when the morning came. Now, we learned that Jesus Christ was captured uh, in dawn. And Christ was uh, carried by the armies no, to, the, to the house of Caiaphas. And there, there was trial. And we all know that this trial is already been, uh, they have already made a decision. This is just for a formality. Kung sa kwa baka niya nga trial, is lutong makaw na siya nga trial. And they came, all the chief priests and elders. So these are the uh, leaders who will decide. But they have made a decision. They have made a decision, even though there are false witnesses, the, the witnesses are, are, uh, cannot prove the 
the guilt of the Lord Jesus Christ, but nevertheless, they made a decision that Jesus Christ is guilty. And the, the elders of the people conferred together, meaning they weigh every option and how to put Jesus to death. Now, Israel is under the Roman Empire, and one thing that they cannot do is to execute a person. Only Rome can do that. So therefore, they conferred together against Jesus to put him to death, and in verse 2, they bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate. The, the only reason that they handed him to Pilate because they want Jesus to be executed. They want Jesus to be killed. And Pilate has the power to do that. Now, in verse 3, Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned. Now remember, when Judas betrayed Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, okay, he, um, Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Now, this passage, this verse tells us that Judas did not really went away. Judas observed what happened to Jesus. Judas is actually uh, not kanang nagpadaga, nagbantay siya, how they would treat Jesus. But when Judas saw that he had been condemned, when Judas saw the situation of Jesus Christ, he felt remorse. During that time when Judas received 30 pieces of silver, perhaps he was happy, he has planned for his life, perhaps there are things that is going on in his mind, what to do with the money? Maybe uh, he, he planned for a vacation. During that time, he was happy. But when the consequence of his sin, when he saw Jesus, the result of his doing, he felt remorse. This is a reality for all of us. During times of Pleasure, when, when there's temptation, we engage to sin. And our thinking is that we will be able to experience pleasure of sin. We experience the, the, the happiness of sin. On that moment, we are thinking on that moment, we are so selfish during that time, but when the consequence of sin is already experienced by us, there, we felt remorse. What did I do? What I have done? Ngano ako tong gibuat sa kung asawa, sa kung anak? Ngano ako? Regret creeps into our hearts. Judas was remorseful. And then what did he do? He returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest. Now, we will talk about this word remorse. Now, metaneo, 
which means genuine change of mind and will. Metalenomai, which merely connotes regret and sorrow. Now, the word sorrow there, or the, more, the word remorse, is metalenomai. The, 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 the remorse felt by Judas. Metalenomai. And metaneo is actually what Peter you know, experienced. Change of mind and will. Now, in 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says, For godly sorrow that is accord with the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But worldly sorrow, it means the hopeless sorrow of those who do not believe, produces death. This is metalenomai. Uh, sorrow that involves emotion, regret, but without change of mind, without transformation of his action. Now, Peter is the best example of metaneo. He felt sorrowful, yet he uh, repent. Metaneo. He changed his mind. He lives his present condition and goes to Christ and asks for mercy. Peter was is an example of metaneo. Now, genuine sorrow for sin, metalenomai, can be prompted by God in order to produce repentance. Sorrow for sin is good. But if not prompted by God, no, the real repentance, metaneo, cannot happen. Because metaneo, or true repentance, is by God's grace alone. By God's grace alone. In Acts 5.31, it says, He is the one whom God exalted to His right hand as Prince and Savior. What did Jesus do to grant repentance, metaneo, to Israel and forgiveness of sin? So the sorrow that Judas felt, the remorse, is metalenomai just for you know, emotion, feeling of regret and guilt. But it did not proceed to Metaneo, the true repentance, because according to John Calvin, true repentance is displeasure at sin, arising out of fear and reverence for God, and producing at the same time a love and desire of righteousness. Now, if this is a definition of the true repentance, then we could see that this is not what Judas did. Judas remained in his sin. He felt remorse, yes. He felt regress, regret, yes. But it did not proceed to metaneo, change of mind, change of will. Why? Because true repentance is the grace of God. Now, John 17 verse 2. 
Jesus Christ prays for his disciples. Uh, and uh, he said, while I was with them in the world, I keep them, meaning his disciples, his sheep, in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, here we could see that Jesus Christ prays to the Father, and Christ said, I have kept them, and none of them is lost. That's why Peter did not lost, did not fall into sin permanently, because the one who preserves Peter, the one who holds Peter, is not Peter. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not your hold of Christ that keeps you in the faith. It is His hold of you. That's why we persevere in the faith. The true sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here it says, except the son of perdition. Now this is talking about Judas. The son of perdition means son of hell. Meaning, the destination of Judas is revealed in the scripture. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Judas will be condemned. Now, the question is, is God unfair by showing mercy in choosing and keeping the 11 disciples to salvation and left Judas to perish in his sin? Is God unfair of not choosing Judas to salvation? Now, to answer that question, Romans 9, 11 to 16 settles it. Now, the context is that Paul grieves for his kinsmen, his fellow Israelites, because they reject the gospel. They reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, if only I will took them their place, I will be the one that is cursed so that my kinsmen will be saved. Paul is mourning in this particular, you know, in this passage. You know, he, he, he was remorseful for his people. But in verse 11, he was uh, uh, comforted because I believe God is sovereign. Paul knew the sovereignty of God and he submits to the sovereignty of God. Now in verse 11 says, For though the twins were not yet born, talking to Jacob and Esau, and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according, remember this word, His choice would stand, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. Now this particular passage God revealed to Paul 
that his choice is already uh, made. That he has chosen Jacob over Esau. He has chosen the younger over the brother. Meaning, he has chosen to show mercy to, to Jacob than to Esau. That's why in verse 12, it was said to the older, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written. Jacob I love, Esau I have hated. Here, we could see that God's choice, His election, is already been made. Before the twins not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to His choice would stand. Now, God chose Jacob before the foundation of the world to grant him mercy. And this mercy is a mercy of salvation to elect him to salvation. Not because God foresees in the future that Jacob will choose God. Not depending upon the choice of Jacob, but depending upon the purpose and choice of God. God is sovereign. He do or He does what He pleases. Therefore, it is not according. It is not dependent upon the choice of man, but God's choice. God is sovereign. That's why the passage says, Jacob I love, Esau I have hated. Love means I favor more Jacob over Esau. That's Monasha's uh, expression. No? Jacob, I love Esau, I have hated. Now the question is, let's go back. Is God unfair by showing mercy in choosing and keeping some to salvation and left others in themselves to perish in their sin. Oh, let us continue our passage. Verse 14, it says, What shall we say then? Is There is no justice with God there, far from it. Is God unfair? No, if we... Uh, Revise the question. If God is, is there any injustice of God? And the word of God says, far from it. God forbid. Verse 15 settles it. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy, whomever I have mercy, and I will show compassion. To whomever I show compassion. God is not obliged to show His mercy. God is obliged to show justice, but not His mercy. He is sovereign. 
Now, that the mercy that I'm talking here is the mercy leads to salvation. No? Uh, good and bad, experiencing God's mercy because God poured out rain, God feeds them, but in terms of His mercy in, of election, salvation, God is sovereign. I will have mercy whomever I have mercy. I will show compassion to whomever I will show compassion. So then, it does not depend on the person. It does not depend on your choosing. It does not depend upon your permission of allowing God to save you. It does not depend upon you. Who wants it? The one who runs it, but on God who has mercy. R.C. Sproul explains this. No sinner has the right to say with impunity, God, you owe me grace. If grace is owed, it is not grace. The very essence of grace is its voluntary character. God reserves to himself the sovereign, absolute right to give grace to some and withhold that grace from others. God is sovereign. Just like, for example, if the president of the Philippines pardons the convicted criminal in believed prison, he, if he pardon one, if he pardons one, is he obliged to pardon all the criminal? No. Why? Because pardon and mercy is not obliged. The president has the right to choose whom he will show pardon. How much more in God? The sovereign one, the God of heavens and the earth, has the right to choose to show mercy and has the right to choose to show his justice. No one received injustice. The other one received mercy. The other one received justice. It is injustice when God won't punish a sinner. That is evil. If God won't punish a sinner, a guilty person, that is evil. God is just. God is holy. He will surely punish every sin. Yet, the Bible also reveals that God is merciful. He has the right whom He will show His mercy. In the final analysis, the decisive cause of salvation is God alone. You are saved not because you allow God to save you. When I was a Christian, someone says to me, you have to open your heart to Jesus because unless you allow God to um, open your heart, God cannot enter, God cannot save you. No? 
It means that God must have the permission to save you. If that is the case, then who is sovereign? Me or God? If God waits for my permission to save me, so I am sovereign. God is not. But that is not the case here. In the final analysis, the decisive cause of your salvation is God. You are saved because God saves you. You are here because God saves you. It does not need your permission to, uh, that you are being saved by God. God saved you because He is sovereign. In Augustine says, We are not chosen because we chose Christ. We chose Christ because we are chosen. You chose God. You say yes to Jesus. You submit to Jesus. Because first and foremost, God has chosen you, in enabling you to submit to Jesus, to surrender your life to Jesus. Because God has chosen you in the first place. So therefore, salvation does, is not dependent upon your choosing. It is God's sovereign choice. Let me give to you passage to prove my point. John 3, 19-20, it says, The context is, Jesus Christ was talking to Nicodemus, and He was talking to Nicodemus and said, and He said, You must be born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. You cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless He's born again. And here, this is the reason why we must be born again. Now, this is the judgment. The light means Jesus Christ has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light, Jesus Christ. Because their works are evil, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light, hates Jesus, does not come to the light, does not come to Jesus, lest his works should be exposed. We could see here that why is it necessary for us to be chosen by God first for us to be saved? Because first and foremost, people are dead in sin. This is talking about the entirety of the humankind. This is the diagnosis of God to all human beings. Human unregenerate person love darkness rather than light. That's why they cannot choose Jesus in their own choosing, in their, in their own ability because they love darkness rather than light. They love sin more than Jesus. Their works are, are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. Meaning they don't want Jesus in their thinking they don't want Jesus in their life. They don't want Jesus in their life. And therefore, they does not come 
to the light. They will not come to the light, the Lord Jesus. Now, if Jesus Christ, no, no, just be, just be reminded this. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross on the third day. He rose again. If He leaves people in themselves to choose Christ, according to this verse, they won't choose Christ. Because they love darkness rather than light. They hate Jesus. They don't want Jesus. That's why people are dead in sin. We are incapable of choosing God. We are in bondage with sin and in sin. And therefore, God must act first in your life for you to choose Christ. Again, let me quote John Calvin again. Unbelief is a testimony of a bad conscience. And hence, it is evident that it is their own wickedness which hinders unbelievers from approaching Christ. That's why in Romans 3.19, we know that whatever law says, it speaks to those who are under the law and that everyone, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. All people, every tongue and nation are dead in sin, in bondage, in sin, and under the wrath of God and are accountable to God. So therefore, all people deserves the wrath, the judgment of God because they hate Christ, they don't want Christ, they don't love Christ. But this grace, my grace, John 6, 44. No one, no one meaning, meaning no one, can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Now the context is this. Jesus Christ revealed his, uh, uh, that he is the Son of God. He revealed that his, the bread came from heaven and those who will believe in him will have eternal life. And those disciples who are following Jesus all along, when they heard that, they went away. They cannot accept this truth. They went away and Jesus Christ made this, uh, he, he proclaimed this truth. No one can come to me. No man has ability to choose Christ. Because no Man, okay, no one has love for Christ unless the Father who sent me draws him. Meaning, ang literal meaning is drag him. Gibira. Okay? I remember, no, I, I, I had a goat when I was a child and I loved the goat and I want him to be fed in the pasture. I have to untie that goat and feed that goat, and let that goat on the pasture. But the goat has no ability, capacity, because he, the, the, the goat is tied. So unless God 
regenerates our heart, unless God set us free from that bondage of sin, we cannot come to Christ. We don't have the power. We don't have the ability. So I made a comment of this. Man would not. Man could not. Man cannot and will not come to Christ unless God draws him to Christ. So that's why salvation is in God's hands alone. Not your own choosing. It is God's sovereign choice. Because we don't have the capacity, the ability to come to Christ. Now, but God, in Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, But God being rich in mercy, because of His great love, which He loves us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By, by grace, you have been saved. So, you can see here, grace. Remember again, mercy. God has shown His mercy and great love for certain people, us. And the question, the question is, who are these people, us here? Ephesians 1.4 Again, we encounter the sovereignty of God. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. So the one that God draws to Jesus, the one that God has shown mercy and great love, the one that God made alive, are the one that He has chosen from the beginning, before the foundation of the world, before the foundation. No, wala pa yun, nabuhat unsa. He chose Him before the creation of the world. God is sovereign. You are not sovereign. He has the power, the absolute right, whom He will save and whom He will pass over whom He will show His justice. Now, how did God uh, implement His sovereign grace to a person, individual? Matthew 16, 16-17. Now, the context is, Jesus Christ asked His disciples, who is He? You know, and Peter said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon. Happy are you, Simon. You are being favored, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. We could see here, this passage, the faith in the Son of God, faith in the Messiah, uh, knowing Christ as Messiah and the Son of God, not just intellectually, but 
trust in Him, submission to Him, does not depend, again, by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. So, sometimes, though, we are deceived that we can save people through entertainment. That's why we invite them because there's a, a, there's a, a person who is famous and thinking that through that, they will know Jesus Christ. Entertainment, charismatic preaching, whatever. But the only one that can save a person is when God the Father reveals to that person that Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. That Jesus is Savior and Lord. You cannot force this. That's why, no, I, 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 uh, naka, nasyako sa una, nung, uh, somebody says, I am, um, naluwas daw siya tungod kay, tungod sa snack. Kadang doon, mana? Ano kaluwas? Tungod, tungod, kung wala pa ng snack ba, hindi kita ko maluwas ba? Ikson, not by flesh and blood. This is not the working of man. This is not your decision. The, the decision lies upon the hands of the God the Father. That's why John Piper says, saving faith is based on a spiritual sight of Jesus as all-glorious Son of God. This spiritual sight is given, gihatag, to us through His inspired word, the, the eyes of our hearts are open to recognize and receive Him. Not by the wisdom of flesh and blood, not by the works of men, but by the revealing work of His heavenly Father. Your salvation lies upon the hands of God. If you believe in Christ, trusted Christ, submits to Christ, it is because God enables you. God has given you the grace to choose Christ. God made you willing to love Christ, to choose, to follow, to embrace, to see the glory of Christ in your life. That's why all glory and honor belong to God alone. You have no contribution of your salvation. God does all the work. God is the author of your salvation and God is the implementer of your salvation. The sovereign grace, now let's connect it to Judas. The sovereign grace of God is manifested when He chose to give saving faith to Peter and withhold it to Judas. Again, the question, is God unfair? No. God is not unfair. God is just and He is merciful. God chose to give mercy to Peter. And God chose to show His justice to Judas. Judas has been predicted to be the son of perdition 
because God withhold. Okay, in eternity past, God has decided already that He will not show mercy to Judas. God will not intervene into the life of Judas. He has decided that Judas will experience his wrath and his justice. John 6:64. Backwards tagamay. But there are some of you who do not believe for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. In Jesus knew from the beginning from the beginning Jesus knew that Judas won't believe Judas won't submit Judas was an unbeliever and he will die as an unbeliever because God withhold His mercy upon him. It was God's sovereign choice. Judas remained in his unbelief in Jesus as Messiah and God's Son because God withhold it to him. Not because God creates unbelief or fresh evil in his heart for him not to believe. God, let's go to of Judas. God did not intervene in the life of Judas. Judas is free in doing sin. Free of doing what, the, what he loves and that is to act according to his nature. And that is sinning, loving sin. God chose to impose his justice to the life of Judas. Now, how, how can I prove that? In Matthew 27, verse 4. Now, let's go back to the story. Judas, okay, he was remorseful, and then he went to the chief priest, and this is the thing that he said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Now, Judas was with Jesus for three years. He saw how Jesus raised Lazarus, Lazarus from the grave. He saw how Jesus calms the storm. He saw how Jesus heals the blind man. He saw the glory of Christ. He received the best uh, lecture. No? Jesus is the best theologian, the best teacher, but in all of this, he just knew Jesus as an innocent man. Man. He did not believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. And he confessed this to the priest no? and the elders. Now let's compare the confession of Judas to the confession of King David when he sinned. I know my wrongdoings. My sin is constantly before me against you and you only. 
I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Now, you can see here that the confession of King David was directed towards God. And he repented okay, from his sin because he acknowledged that he sinned in God and in God alone. In contrast to, to, to Judas, okay, he's just, he confessed his sin to the elders, chief priests, and he saw Jesus as a man. He did not sought the mercy of God. He did not sought the grace of God. That's why Matthew Henry says, some have said that Judas sinned more in despairing of the mercy of God than betraying his master's blood. Betrayal is not unforgivable sin. The only reason oh, Judas did not come to God and beg for grace and mercy. Why? Because Judas was unbelieving. And the chief priest says, What is that to us? You shall see it to yourself. That's your problem, Judas, not ours. Verse 5, he, th he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and left and went away and hanged himself. Judas, according to this passage, is never a changed man. He followed his inclination. Instead of submitting to the will of God, begging for mercy and grace, he did his way. He did what he thinks is right. He settles his guilt by killing himself. He did not remember these words. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to be served, uh, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said these words in the presence of Judas prior to his betrayal. But Judas did not believe this. Judas made a way for him to atone his sin, to, to remove the guilt. He hung himself. Now, let's continue. Verse 6, the chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, it is not lawful to put them in the temple treasury since it is money paid for blood. And he conferred together with the money bought by the potters, uh, bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the, the price of the one whose, whose price had been set by the sons of Israel. 
Now we can see here, as we uh, meditate upon, as we study the scripture, the wicked, Judas' wickedness is never outside the sovereignty of God. Judas, I will include the priest and Pilate, meant it for evil. God meant it for good to fulfill the scripture and display his glory. God is still sovereign. God is still on the throne. So that's why if you submit to Christ and if you, true, if you knew that you are a true disciple of Christ, if you knew the sovereignty of God, nothing will happen in your life that is outside of the sovereignty of God. Pain, sorrow, everything is for the good of those who love Him and called according to His purpose. God is sovereign. God is in control. Let's continue. In verse 10, they gave them for Potter's field just as the Lord directed me. Now, what we can learn here? Sovereign grace means God has the absolute authority to grant mercy to His elect and enforce His justice upon non-elect. Salvation is in the hands of God. Not upon human decision, not upon the, not upon the will of man, not because you permit God to save you, but God has chosen to save you and therefore you choose God. Now, the question is, how do I know that I'm one of God's elect? John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. If you truly believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Master, and you cling to Jesus Christ alone for salvation, and you acknowledge Him that He is really the Lord of your life, the most precious person in your life, the pearl of great price. You believe you rest upon Him and Him alone, His works, and he, what He did on the cross. If you believe that, then you are elect. And then, examine yourself. Matthew 3, 7 and 8. John the Baptist said this to the Pharisees. He saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for the baptism, he said to them. You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are confident that they are saved. Confident because they are sons of Abraham, they are religious people. But John the Baptist warned them, Who warned you? To flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. How do you know that you are elect? First, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You acknowledge that it is by grace and God's grace alone and mercy alone. Your salvation lies. And then, your repentance. You repent from your sin. Now, if you have sin in your life, you repent from it. And repentance is not just a one-time moment. It is a lifetime of constant 
believing, constant repenting from our sin. And you will know that you are elect. And this is a warning for all of us. If you confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord, and you have your confidence is based because you belong to this church, you serve the wider group, you are a wider group leader, your family is, are, are Christians, if you base your salvation on that human works, I warned you, repent, submit to Christ, trust Him, believe in Him. Let us come to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, we thank you so much for this truth that you have revealed to us that indeed, oh God, you are sovereign. You are Lord. You are God. I pray, oh God, that this truth will pierce our hearts and it will result to praises and adoration, glorifying you. Because you have shown us mercy instead, your justice. We thank you so much, O oh God. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.